It has become obvious to all objective observers that Alberta is reaching a point of no return. If it does not do something soon, it would become an economic wasteland. The one thing business needs is predictability. It needs to be able to forecast future changes. Even though many marketing plans do not extend beyond a few months, when it comes to investments in capital, this requires many years, not just for the approval process, but for the establishment of the business itself and the recouping of uh, the investment. It is probably too late for Alberta to regain the trust of large investors such as Tech Resources, who recently walked away from a potential $20 billion investment in the oil sands. It is not as if any nations welcome oil sector investments with unbridled enthusiasm, but Canada's small landlocked market is not likely to make the roadblocks set up by natives seem something that can be confronted and overcome with the expectations of long-term benefit, not in the present climate. Yet listing the many reasons why a corporation would not find setting up shop in Alberta a paying proposition does not get us closer to either the real problem or to a feasible alternative to what was a solution that we called confederation. Separation is often promoted as if separation from Canada was a real possibility, as if landlocked Alberta could be lifted and carried away to a place where confederation was no more than an unpleasant dream. What tends to be forgotten is that confederation was the solution to non-alignment, and it might make sense to consider what we propose before we simply decide to try and turn the clock back one and a half hundred years. Canada is, after all, a paper with some ideas spelled out on it, and this seems to express some good ideas at a certain time and place. Canada is a political creation, and politics is nothing more than opinions given a lot of pompous significance. While it is true, Alberta cannot spout legs and make a run for it, it's just as true to say separation does not necessarily mean trying to end the marriage by means of an amicable settlement. Divorce is likely to make enemies out of even the most even-tempered of partners. The jilted one is especially likely to want to make sure the leaving is accompanied by as much unpleasantness as it is possible for highly paid lawyers to create. The question we need to ask is if we wish to prosecute the goal of separation through the courts using a process design by the very one who is seeking to block the motion, i.e., in this case, the state. The very nature of Canada provides a far simpler solution and is more likely to resolve the problems the process is meant to solve. To understand the real issue, think of confederation had been accomplished with the provinces retaining an absolute veto power over federal incursions into Alberta's affairs. Let's unpack these ideas even more. What if the federal government had no claim on anything produced by Albertans? 
Is it the union of Alberta with the other provinces that is the issue? Or is it the hand from Ottawa that seems such an efficacious pickpocket? To put this another way, why get a divorce if all you really want is to ensure your spouse cannot have access to your bank account? Most people do not understand that the issue is not confederation but property rights. A married person may believe he or she needs to get a divorce to stop the spouse from gaining access to their bank account, but it is not the marriage that is the problem, it's the lack of personal ownership rights. A fisher who gets access to your accounts is a bigger problem than a spouse, and you may not even know the person who has gained access. Separatists could spend many, many years in the uncertain, time-consuming and expensive process of attempting to separate using the legal process. Quebec tried this several times, and so has many other places around the world. I'm not aware of any that have been successful. Civil war sometimes produces a desired result, but that is a tool of last resort. What Alberta and the rest of the provinces need is a non-legal but non-violent decentralized option. The regions need to be free of the tyrannical power of Ottawa, but without taking the federal government head-on in the courts or on the streets. The key to decentralized power is property rights. Indeed, centralization cannot be achieved without infringing on people's property rights. The most basic property right is the right of possession. This right is best looked at as personal property rights. We all have a right to the property we need to live. We can derive all rights from this, that is all other human rights. The tribe owns its property because this is the property the members need in the aggregate. The nation also is the aggregate of all the personal property of those within the location. The nation is simply a political jurisdiction formed to give form to the personal property of the individuals within that particular jurisprudence. What we did wrong was confuse personal property as a human right with private property as a legal right. Mankind put governments over them and the state took upon itself to become the officiating authority assigning ownership rights. Since the state assigns ownership rights, the state can also rescind or modify these rights. The state represents power. The state giveth and the state taketh away when it comes to rights, especially property rights. We have not moved that far away from the divine right of kings. Separatists often find themselves in the position of a noble seeking to exercise his property rights in the face of a king striving to form a national identity. What is a separatist to do when the legal and the security forces are under the control of the central command? If the tools of the central government are used against the central government, the outcome is likely to be unsatisfactory. Witness the natives' own efforts. If a people were able to do more things wrong more times in a more consistent fashion than natives, it is difficult to say who this would be. 
need is try the legal route of court cases and injunction and the route of force through the demonstrations and other acts of disobedience. The legal and illegal routes both play to the strength of the government. They can bring in more legal resources and more law enforcement resources to bear for longer periods and more consistently than any private party. Those who wish to separate need to understand the law and law enforcement are the powers that restrain us. They are not the power by which we can achieve freedom. We need to speak truth to power or more logically. We need to speak logic to power. Logic is the most powerful force in the universe. Separatists need to be aware of two facts. If the state was logical, it would not be oppressive. That it is oppressive means it is not logically functional. The other thing we have to be sure of is that logic is the greatest source of power. Logic is a truth written in our hearts. We can all be logical. What we need to do is speak logic to power. Power cannot overcome logic, but logic overcomes power. It is not logically attack power at a strong point. However, we need to analyze just what we are dealing with here. We have argued that the problem is ownership, specifically the ability of the state to control access to property. Without going into detail, even personal ownership is controlled by the state. It gives us a legal identity and then assigns ownership to the legal identity. This is why our legal identity is our name capitalized. The state thus owns the legal identity as its property and therefore all we own is owned by the state. We function as a kind of holding company created by the state to own property in our name to hide the fact that all property is owned by the state. We are a liability, a source of risk. We need to be restrained by law and given a license that permits us to do things that would otherwise pose a risk to the state and its property. If the power of the state is contained in its authority over property, then separation is about reclaiming our authority, not just over our property, but over our own being. To understand the process, we need to understand ownership, because logically we cannot claim what does not belong to us as our property. If the state really does own us and can legitimize its authority over us, then we have no basis for separating from the state. There are only two types of ownership or two ways ownership comes about. We create something and become the owner of it or we use superior power to take what someone else has created and we call this our own. The second scenario is the idea that might makes right. This is the foundation for the power of the state. It holds supreme power, so it is authorized to take from the creators of property what it needs to legitimize its authority. Its power to extract property from the original owner is used to give the state the authority to extract wealth from its rightful owner. One cannot separate state power from state legitimacy. If the state had no power to take wealth from us, it would lose all its legitimacy. It would become redundant. 
It is obvious that the creator of wealth has the only valid right to own what he or she created. This means the individual is the real producer and the real owner of all wealth, but it also means the lower political jurisdiction has greater legitimacy than the higher political jurisdiction. This is logic, but the question remains as to how do we translate the claim into action. The individual creates something and claims to own it, but we have been misled to a small but still significant degree. If we own what we create, we cannot own what we did not create. This is the basis of our rejection of the state. If our argument is to hold, we need to apply it consistently, and that requires us to apply it as much to ourselves as to the state. When you paint a picture, the picture is yours, and you will feel wronged if the state takes it or claims it has a share in it or in any income it creates. You painted the picture, you bought the paints and canvas and so on, and so it is you that rightfully owns it. A factory produced the paints, but who produced the pigments, the cotton and the wood and the other inputs that go into making the products which go into making the picture. A company buys a waterfall or 10,000 acres of trees. What right has a state to assign these natural resources to a legal being? Indeed, where does it get the right to give you title to your property? Is it true that might makes right? Because if it is, when it benefits you, then it remains the basis of ownership when the state takes back what it originally allowed you to have. While we are at it, this means the only things that are not right are those things the state has said is wrong, since might is the only foundation for morality, according to this kind of thinking. What is more, if we accept might makes right, then the only recourse we have when it comes to separation is to show the law allows it, or to have more power than the state and force it to let us go. However, if we reject the doctrine of might makes right, then we are given a third possibility, but it means eliminating all ownership claims not based on the rights of the creator to that which he or she has created. To prevent others from making claims on what, she, what you created, you must relinquish all claims to what others have created. The question then becomes one of how one is rewarded for what one does. This is the crucial question. We create value, and we ought to be paid for what we do. We ought to be rewarded. This begs the question of what do we own, and what can we own? If we grow a carrot, do we not own the carrot? Can we own it? We can only own it if we pay the creator of the soil, sun, and seed for his contribution. If he is not selling, then we are not buying, and any ownership claim is fictitious. This may seem academic and a matter of semantics, but it is the key to whether everything else will make sense or fall apart. We have to treat this issue as one of the utmost importance. No one is saying we cannot own things personally, but this is because of the technical issues associated with the problem not because the ethical issues have been eliminated. We all have an equal right to what is needed to live. No one disputes this. 
It is when we get to commercial activities that ownership rights must be respected. Personal use abrogates or excuses us and grants us leniency, but we cannot transfer this abeyance to commercial property. When we grow a carrot for commercial gain, all we are entitled to is the value of our labor. We only create our own inputs. When we grow a carrot for commercial use, it is grown to benefit others. They get the carrot for their use, so it is they who are liable to re recompense you for the value you created. To keep things fair and just, the group creates a ledger held as an exchange. The exchange maintains the accounts of the members. When a person creates commercial value, he or she is paid. He or she uses the credits to purchase things from other members of the exchange. The state functions by speaking power to weakness. It takes wealth from one sector and transfer it to another. This is all it does. It's all it can do. This is how it produces social goods. It transfers assets from one agent to another. But if the state can transfer wealth through force, the exchange can do this through the free market. Thus the exchange, as it acquires the ability to create roads, school and jurisprudence services, makes the state redundant. The exchange separates from the state simply because the state's power is no longer relevant. As groups increase in size and the exchange becomes more complex, it provides more goods and services. Each sector is represented by its own union. If the construction sector wants to build a road, it builds a road in response to need. Resources for building the road are transferred to the project through the agency of the exchange. People are credited for the work they do. If one sector provides another sector with assets, it is credited for the value provided. This is a free market. The more goods and services provided through the free market, the less the state is needed. When the state can no longer talk power to weakness, it cannot exist. Exchanges talk logic to power, and logic trumps power. Logic puts power into the hands of the true owners. When the real owners have control over what they create, they cannot be oppressed any longer. The key to separating from the state is to help one another as a charitable institution, put love before profits, and caring before personal enrichment. We need to help one another as members of the same body. Unless we live as one body, we will remain too weak to defend our rights of ownership against the power of the state. For more information on setting up a free market exchange, listen to our other episodes provided on Logical Minds Only and visit our website of the same name, logicalmindsonlyoneword.com. Thank you.